Otherwise, on SAFM. Very good afternoon to you and welcome to Otherwise on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala, my producer is Hazel Makuzeni, and Albert Klassen is our technical producer. Our contact details are 0892-102010 or email otherwise at safm.co.za. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. The Mineral Resources Portfolio Committee invites individuals and stakeholders to submit written comments on the Mineral and Petroleum Resources Development Amendment Bill. The bill seeks to amend the Mineral and Petroleum Resources Development Act of 2002 to remove ambiguities that exist within the Act to provide for the regulations of associated minerals, partitioning of rights and enhanced provisions relating to beneficiation of minerals to promote national energy security. Parties are requested to forward written submissions by Friday, 6 September 2013. Copies of the legislation can be obtained from the government printers. Submissions should be forwarded to the following email addresses, aboss at parliament.gov.za, that's A-B-O-S-S at parliament.gov.za. Inquiries may be directed to Miss Aboss at 021-403-3768. Otherwise, on SAFM. Dr. Klingo is a multi-award winner and an internationally renowned specialist in neurosurgical nurse. Most importantly, though, is that Dr. Klingo has spent her life in service of the sick, the poor, and the vulnerable. She's also featured in the 21 Icon South Africa series. And here is why. Dr. Lillian Klingo, welcome to Otherwise. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time and thanks for joining us. Dr. Klingo, you come from an old guard of nurses, trained predominantly at Barakwanath Hospital, I think, or even Jane First, maybe. What made your group different from the training our nurses receive today? Well, you're right. Uh, I come from the old group. Uh, I trained in the Mission Hospital initially in Morocco, Mission Hospital. Then I went to my course uh, to do medicine, and then later came to Barakwanath. So I think that our training was one of the best. We were trained by the best disciplined people who disciplined us in a very constructive way. Which, which we don't see much of these days, I'm afraid. But what, what, what were those type of disciplines? I mean, what oath did you have to take? Does the same oath still exist today? I think that the same oath exists, uh, Charu. But I think with all oaths and all the promises, it really has to come from the heart. And that is why I do feel strongly that people who embark on looking after the ill must really feel for them mm-hmm. and care for them and be compassionate and kind because no book will really tell you what you are going to be faced with. Mm-hmm. And those people who trained us, nurtured us, 
showed us the right way. And I feel strongly also that the training these days still need people who can mentor our young ones and show them the right way. But also that our young ones shouldn't just expect to go to the top, but know that you start from the bottom, you turn the patient, you clean their eyes, you clean their mouth, make sure that they've got the right food, and if they can't eat this, you try that. That is how we were trained. We just didn't say this patient doesn't like this food. You wanted to know what then can I give? Is this easier to swallow if I give them this or will mm. I try that? And that is the type of training that is important. That is the training that was there those days and is the training that should continue because ill people will be ill people no matter what century it is. Mm. Mm. Um. You know, I, I look at uniform these days because you ladies took pride in your uniform in those days, you know. Um, I grew up in Soweto and the uniforms of the nurse, everyone wanted to be a nurse yes. when you walk past Baragwanath. But it starts there, doesn't it, as well? It's got something to do with your presentation and, 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 and yourself, really, towards your, your, your craft before your patients even. Well, I think it does, and I think the way you carry yourself, the way your uniform was, it was starched and ironed, you walked up straight, children in the streets looked up to you, you also encouraged them as you were going along about looking after themselves, and they would ask you questions about what uh, you are going to do at work, because mm-hmm. uh, and my parents were in Soweto, so I know what you're talking about. Mm. And then when you go to the ward as a sister, Sitting, uh, standing up straight, walking up and down your ward, making sure, Shadow, that every patient, every patient got the best care, and you knew each and every patient. And it is disgusting and very worrying when you get to a ward these days and the person in charge doesn't know who is so-and-so. Because how can you look after somebody if you don't know who they are? How can you supervise and tell your staff members what to look for in that patient if you don't know who they are? So it's all those things that are really worrying. But also I worry about whether maybe we expect a lot from nurses, maybe they're short of staff, maybe they haven't got enough uh, equipment. Those are things that worry me because we can't just say they're not doing this. Why are they not doing it? What, what is stopping them from doing it? What, how can we influence the nurses to take the responsibility? Because, yes, the, the, the hospitals also need to be spoken about. Uh, the, the administrative of, you know, of, of the administration needs to be spoken about. But I think the nurses, you know, given all those negative circumstances, still should be able to do the job properly. I I agree. I think the nurses should do the job properly, and I think, for me, this is why it should be a job that you really want to do. Mm. It's not a job that your mother or father or relative should say, I think you should be a nurse. It should be something you want to do. I, I had opportunities of doing other courses and degrees, but I wanted to be a nurse. Mm. And and my father said, well, if you want to be a nurse, you must also try and understand the languages of your people. Go if 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 then you you go to Tabant, if you you've learned Soto in the free state. Now, if you go to Tabant, you might learn Jona. And then when I finish, I said, well, you need to know about the Zulus and the <laughs> Indians. How about going to 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 Durban? He didn't say go. He said, well, how about going to Durban mm-hmm. and learning about? So you need all that so that you can fully understand people. And I think that the attitude is so important. 
language might not be important because uh, the language of nursing is about non-verbal. Yes. You see whether somebody cares or not for you non-verbally and verbally. So the attitude is so important. I am not sure what has happened about the attitude of the nurses. And that's why for me it's always what has happened, what has changed, what has made people so uncaring? Is it because they feel uncared for? Because it's the other way around too, Sharu. Mm. We must look after our carers Mm. so that they can look after the ill. Have we not done that? Or has nursing just become a job. But what has changed? I mean, you, you, you got, I, I, again, when, when I was younger, there were nurses coming out of all the institutions I mentioned, and Baragwanath apparently uh, produced the most sought-after nurses as well around the world. Now, what has changed? Because Baragwanath still exists. Uh, I'm, I'm, I assume that the, the, the nursing institutions have grown, hopefully, uh, to, to train nurses. But what has changed? Well, I think uh, the, the, the whole thing has changed dramatically. And now we have got uh, universities that train nurses. Okay. And they get their degrees. Mm-hmm. And um, it is good to have a degree. I have degrees too. But it's important to remember that you cannot, I repeat again, learn it from the book, you still have to go to the bedside. And what I think went wrong in South Africa is probably the fact that the training stopped training practical nurses. You know, there used to be staff nurses Mm -hmm. and then auxiliary nurses Mm -hmm. and then sisters, and then it went right up. Mm -hmm. And you always had the practical nurse, the nurse who was at the bedside all the time. Just like probably in England there was the state enrolledness. These, these are very important. But you know, what also has gone wrong from my point of view is that we tend to copy whatever the West is doing. Okay. In, 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 in uh, America there's a, a method that is called uh, the Warlord Method. And uh, England copied it and it was again about training nurses with their degrees and degrees and, and, and then, uh, we went to America to check on that, and Britain bought it. It had failed them in America because they didn't have the bedside nurse. And they also interpreted what should not be, that we should always listen to the patient. And when you, when you hear about that, you think, oh, that's good, you listen to the patient. Mm. But as a nurse and as a doctor, you can't listen to the patient all the time because you know what the patient requires or needs to get better. And of course, so that nursing process England took, and then South Africa took it from Britain, and there's a nursing process. And you go to the patient, I don't know here if they do it, and you say, I want to wash you. If the patient says, no, I don't want to be washed, you don't want to you say, I want to feed you. And if the patient says, no, I don't want to eat, you don't. But in our days, you did not listen. You said you need to eat mm-hmm. because you need to eat and have a well-balanced side for the tablets to work. I need to turn you every hour because you're going to develop bad sores. Mm. You, didn't, you didn't ask the patient. You told the patient. And the patient in the end was grateful for it. But the thing is also the patient's state of mind, depending on the illness, is not, is not to be trusted. Thank you. Thank you. And the patient will be truly grateful once they've been turned and they know they're comfortable. But for them, the pain just makes them feel, I don't want to be moved. But as a 
qualified person or as a practical nurse, you know that this is what I should do. So I, I think that a lot has gone wrong. But, you know, I think a lot also, fortunately, is being rectified. I think there's training that is coming now or is started where the particleness is coming into the scene again. Mm, mm. So it's always... like everywhere, you know, we, we, it's one way or the other. There's no midway. We tip very much to the left instead of just staying midline. Hmm. Now, uh, as I said, Baragwan has produced the, 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 the most sought-after nurses. Oh, you know, Baragwan was the best. But in fact, South Africa had the best nurses, and the whole world wanted South African nurses. Well, we lost a lot of them to England, including yourself. We did, we <laughs> did. Uh, I think uh, on the positive side, it was good that um, a, a, a country like South Africa or somebody from Africa could be accepted um, as the best mm-hmm. uh, in England because usually the West thinks everybody African is rubbish. So that is a positive thing that we could still compete with the best and be the best. Mm. Uh, But at the same time, we should ask ourselves, why nurses left South Africa? Mm. Were they not fully uh, recognized? Were they not acknowledged? What was their salary? All those things are important. If you if you want to get the best from people, give them the best also. Are the nurses getting the best? Are the doctors getting the best? Are the physiotherapists getting the best? Are the care workers getting the best? Are we caring for them? This is so vital. Now, you, you talk about all these degrees, and you've, you've gained many, and your awards must look good on your mantelpiece at home. But I need to know, you know, how far nurses can graduate. Because now you're a neurosurgical nurse. What, what is that? I've never heard of a neurosurgical nurse. Well, you know, I was very lucky. I worked in Paraguay, and apparently I used to be very much near children who were unconscious all the time, or people were critically ill. And in those days, there were the surgeons. There was a professor called Professor Lipschitz, who was a neurosurgeon who... I operated on those two children. You remember the two children who had two heads yes. together? So, Paul and Ponyana, no. Yeah, so yeah, so he went to Matron one day and said, I, I want that nurse in my ward. And those days you couldn't say no to Matron. So one day Matron called me and said, go to neurosurgery. And I was <laughs> certified of neurosurgery because I didn't quite like the central nervous system. But I had to go, Matron said. So I went there and that first day, Shadow, I must tell you, I thought this is my niche. I loved it. There was so much work. People were so critically ill. They were unconscious. They had cerebral tumors. They had strokes. They had aneurysms. But I thought this is what I want to do. And believe me, after six months, this professor said, Lillian, you're gifted in this. You're black. You'll never be trained in South Africa. You've got to go to the best neurosurgical unit in England, in the whole world, the National Hospital for Nervous Diseases and Specialize, because God has gifted you with this. So I said, I don't know anybody in England. He said, I will give you the addresses and everything, and you must do everything yourself. And that's how it happened. Did you have a family that you had to leave behind? At the time, I was not married. I married Rich Longwane uh, in, in England. I was a single girl. And oh, wow. So, and so I, 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 but I had my mother and my father who were very excited about my going. Those were the days when black people didn't go. It took me two years to get my passport, as you can imagine. So I left in 1966. And you then, um, 
got all the accolades that you have now, all in England? Well, I got accolades, but you know, also, I think uh, this is also an important thing, uh, the development of us all as professionals. We should never be satisfied to say, I've got this, I've got that, because you see a lot of things that you need to know, which you must know, even because you're black or you come from a certain country. Mm -hmm. Because in England, of course, I did neurosurgery, got my honours, got all those other accolades, you know, Necessary or whatever to the Queen and everything, but I saw leprosy for the first time in England, oh my and goodness. I and I and there were tropical. There's a hospital for tropical diseases, and I thought to myself, why should there be a hospital for tropical diseases in England when I am from Africa? And then I thought I better do tropical medicine, and then I was asked to open the Rafri Hospital. Uh, for neurosurgery, which I started, uh, uh, and it became a neurosurgical unit, which is wonderful, specializing with people with brain tumors, children and adults, and, and everybody else. But I thought, I'm the one who is always advising relatives about your husband has got a brain tumor, your child of seven has got a brain tumor, oh, your so-and-so has got an aneurysm, and, and they might not speak, they might not walk, and I thought, I also need now to, to be able to help the family because with illness, as with nursing, you don't just deal with the patient. You've also got to know you've got to deal with the family. Illness doesn't just affect one person. It affects the whole family. But neurosurgery, brain surgery, because there could be personality changes and things like that. So you need to... Holding the family, who is at home, how are they doing, this is what's happening to your father or to your mother, they might be like this, they might be like this, help them like this, help them like that. So I, I, I went to my boss and I said, I need to be trained as a psychologist. Oh my goodness, <laughs> hold that thought, Dr. Dingo, hold that thought, we back after this. <laughs> Otherwise, on SAFM. All right, we're speaking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to be chatting to you. We're speaking to Dr. Klingo, talking about nursing. We're talking about um, just the, South Africa's health. And, of course, we'll, we'll, we'll eventually talk about the Pelo Pepper health train. So you went and became a psychologist because of the needs. Where did it end? Well, you, you see, it, it, it was so important for me uh, to, to do that because it ended then. It didn't end. This thing didn't end. It continues, actually, yes. Because, yes. you know, this is why we should work until we die. Because then I realized that even in neurosurgery there, there, and in, in the whole thing now about psychology and psychotherapy, there were children who needed to be attended to. So I thought I better go to the Tavistock Center, which specializes in all types of psychoanalysis, psychotherapy with mm -hmm. children, with adults, um, youth that have got problems, mm -hmm. abused children. And also that was a time when also there were a lot of people coming from Africa as refugees. Mm -hmm. So with a colleague of mine, we started a, a refugee center at the, Taf at, at the Tavistock Hospital uh, because then there was this need, there's always a need so things cannot stop. So then I, I trained then uh, at the Tavistock Center now at to, how to work as, with groups, mm -hmm. how to supervise groups, mm -hmm. how to work with boys and girls who were not sure of their sexuality, mm -hmm. how to deal with parents who did not accept that, how to... All those things that uh, go on in life. 
but I would not have been able to do these things if I hadn't done this psychology, which took me to other things. So, you know, you do one thing, and it takes you to other things. You see other problems, and you know that God has given you these gifts, and you've got to use them. So really, it's important for all of us in South Africa to use these gifts and to encourage people to use them. God has given everybody a gift. The important thing is how are you using it? Are you burying it in the sand? But it's also important to recognize it when it's there because it may be sitting in front of you and you don't see it. Because you're looking at other things. You know, you know somebody once said that you're looking at the door, but the window is open for you. So, uh, and maybe you're looking at Lillian, but God has other aims for you. Mm. Um, so it, it, it does need... And, and that's where also parents come in and friends come in. And relatives come in where they, they might say, you know, you're good at that, you're good at that. And maybe then they could help you with, with uh, encouraging you. I had very encouraging parents, mm. and I, I had a family that just wanted us to, to do the best we could. But then it must have been difficult when you get a call from Nelson Mandela to say, come home, we need you, we've got this health train that we need you to look after and manage and... and, and and do all the things that you can do. It must have been difficult, and you must have had lots of thoughts of challenges of, you know, you've, you haven't been home for many years. Uh, how do you then uh, take up this huge responsibility? Well, it wasn't difficult at all to come to South Africa because I had been wanting to come to South Africa, you see. But because uh, Reginald Songwane, Jameson's father, was uh, in exile, I couldn't. And when... Of course, there was the freedom of South Africa. I wanted to come. I knew I needed to come to South Africa because I knew I had to do something for my country. I felt that I had done a lot internationally, but my country needed me, and I had so much to give. You know, you keep on calling him Reginald someone. You don't call him your husband. <laughs> you keep on saying Reginald someone. Like this other person, you know, that I was attached to. Well, maybe he is this other person now. <laughs> okay, we won't go there. But, you know, I'm very fond of that family and, and they're fond of me. So, yeah, I, I, uh, but he's still in England. Yeah, okay, so he's not listening to this conversation. No, no, he's not. Yeah. But, but does that thing... Um, what were your immediate challenges or what were you excited about when, when the health train project came about? Well, you know, uh, I, I must tell you this. I, I was excited about coming to South Africa. I was excited about the role I was going to play, um, but also I was anxious as to how I was going to be uh, received. Uh, I, I, I'm aware that when you have, you've been away, a lot of things change. Mm. And also people are also worried about you coming, and they don't know that you're worried about them too. And also I was aware that um, I must learn. That is what I knew I had to do. I must learn a lot. Mm. But, you know, for me, Shadow, the, 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 after the interviews and everything and me getting the job, the thing that really shocked me was when uh, my colleague, uh, Dr. Lynn Kusie, 
said, Lillian, you have got to be trained as a chain manager. I know all about you now <laughs> in as far as the medical side is concerned. You have got to be trained as a train manager. You have got to be trained how to shunt the train, how to check oil in the train, how to put tracks on the train, how to put explosives to protect your train. And I thought this is something I had not expected. But I'm so proud you did that successfully. Well, my dear, I had You shunted these, that train. <laughs> you know, I had this African men who were so enthusiastic to teach me. You know, they went to the test and they said, this is how you do it, and this is how you do it. I wouldn't, you know, I, 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 up to today, I still talk to them. Brimby and all the whole lot because they were fantastic. They they knew all about the trains. I knew absolutely nothing, but I knew I had to do it because I wanted to be on that train because I've got something about rural communities. I think that they need the best. They are not getting the best in education, in health, in everything. And so really and truly, even though we complain in urban areas, the rural communities have to be addressed seriously, seriously. We'll come back to talk about that, but just before we go to news, you had to learn all those shuntings of the train and fixing and all of that, because you practically lived in the train. I lived in the train for 13 years. <gasps> just going around the country in that train for 13 years? In that train for 13 years, even up to now, when I sleep in my bed, which is very big now, I still sleep at the edge of the bed, because <laughs> I'm not used to sleeping. Anyway, but you know, I had stuff were fantastic staff members, I had students who were fantastic. I had, oh, you know, that train was the most important thing. I had a boss who was superb, who knew all about financial matters, which I didn't know about. So I learned a lot. Well, now I understand why Reginald is in England. <laughs> <laughs> we're back talking to you in a few minutes. Please stay on the line, Dr. Tsingo. It is now one o'clock. I beg your pardon. It's time for news updates with Cecilia Sarko. <laughs> My guest is Dr. Lillian Klingo, who is a specialist neurosurgical nurse, but also featured in the 21 Icons South Africa series, and we're finding out all about her right now. Now, what did the train do for you, Dr. Klingo? I mean, do you think it reached the places, as you say, you're very passionate about people in the rural areas, um, did it do what it was supposed to do? I see we've also got another train. I think it inspired an extra train. But tell us the initial kind of trips that train took, what you learned about our, our health care in the country. Well, um, the train was an eye-opener for me. Uh, I knew that there were health needs in South Africa, but the train made me realize just how awful things were mm. in rural communities. Mm. But also how understaffed uh, staff were and also how they didn't have the equipment to cope with certain things. Mm. It made me realize how teachers didn't have classrooms mm. to teach their children, mm. uh, how they were coping with circumstances that were so difficult with, uh, and at the time AIDS was at its worst and I, I saw teachers collecting money to bury children uh, who had died because they had no parents already. Mm. It, and it made me realize how important it is to have health care because we went to one school and we found children playing outside, about 30 of them, and the teachers said, oh, the children were very difficult and they couldn't manage them. And we said, let's test. Let's test their eyes. Mm. And, you know, 
25 of those children could not see. And so they were taken uh, to the train, eye tests and everything done. They got spectacles. Same day. And five years later, the parents came to see the doctor who was dealing with these patients, Dr. Charles, and said, mm. my child has got 80% in school. My child has got 90% in school. So you, you realize then how important it is to make sure that our young children have got these facilities because their lives, their futures depend on what is available for them now. The train showed me how old people who could read, could not read for 20 years, 30 years, mm. because there were no facilities. Mm. And some of them just wanted to read the Bible. And Abanya would say, yes, I've not read my Bible for 25 years. Oh. You could see how teachers were so, so stressed. So we went to schools, we, we checked the children for health, we checked the children for dental problems, we cleaned and frosted the teeth, we did the eye care, as I told you, we did counseling and psychology, which is so vital because these children had lost parents, and nothing had happened about parents. And as Africans, they buried everything under the table. Umamawako has gone to heaven. What does that mean to a child? Oh, Umamawako has been taken by Jesus. What does that mean to a child? Mm, so mm. so we, we attended to those. So the train was wonderful. And I also saw students from various universities totally committed. I mean, you know, I used to wake them up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Woke up at four, half past four, six o'clock. I woke all those students up and stuff to get to work. And some of them would say, Lillian, in my four or five years at university, I've not learned as much. And African English students would come and say, you know, I know 20 African words now because I can <laughs> talk to my patients. So for them, also, it was an eye-opener. And they said that we didn't know that. Things were like this in rural areas. So it was an eye-opener for me, for my students, for the staff, and also it was such a wonderful thing for communities to be part of it because we made sure that the communities took responsibility. We'd say, you've asked us to come, choose your coordinators, Department of Health, Education, women's organizations, youth organizations, they were all involved. And we said, choose the people who are going to work on the train, choose the people who are going to interpret, choose this, choose this, and the failure of the train will depend on you. And you should have seen how they worked to make sure that the train did not fail. So the community was involved. Dr. Tungo, I love your passion so much. I love talking to you. I could sit here and talk to you all day. And I'm sure we will find another opportunity to talk to you. But thank you for joining me. Are you are you related to Walter Tungo? Yes, our fathers and brothers. That's why I learned Sutu because I was in contact to learn ah, Sutu. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now I knew also very well. Ah, uh, we must not him seen, eh? Yes. You can look bully. I got <laughs> <laughs> brought me here, thanks God, because I'm not organizing these things. <laughs> but thank you so much and for all the stunning work you've done in the past and that you continue to do for the country. You are an icon indeed. Thanks, my sister. Uh, thank you very much, Gabriel. Take care. Bye. Wow. Dr. Lillian Klingo, one of the icons of the 21 uh, Icons South Africa series. And at least you've met her now. Coming back to talk about Casual Day. Hi, I'm Bailen Kirti. 
I'm a Shake the World Ambassador, which means that I support the eight millennium development goals set by the United Nations in 2000. Lime green, orange and dark green bees adorn my wrist because I support goal two, achieving primary education. Goal number three, promoting gender equality and empowering women. And goal seven, ensuring environmental sustainability. These are massive tasks which will need the energy of millions. My support is how I shake the world. How do you shake the world? This is SAFM. Otherwise, on SAFM. Friday is casual day, and I know mostly students get to wear CVs to school, and maybe you and your colleagues probably find the opportunity to arrive at work in a clown's outfit or something very unusual. But do you know how purchasing the casual day sticker may change someone else's life? Well, I'm joined on the phone by Celeste Vanessa, who is the project leader for casual day. Celeste, hello, welcome. Good afternoon. Nice talking to you. How I are you? I enjoyed your guest. <laughs> oh, you did, eh? Did you enjoy well. her? How are you? She is infectious, wasn't she? Sure, yes. I, I almost wanted to give up my airtime for her. <laughs> Listen, your your gig is equally important. Yes. Eh? Listen, um, casual day. I, I, you know, you, it sounds like a lot of fun, and we see it on TV with large green wigs and large glasses. Yes. But there is a serious side of it, isn't there? Yes, we are very, very light-hearted about dress codes. We drop dress codes completely, mm-hmm. but the issues of disability and around disability inclusion are very, very close to our heart and are, in fact, very serious. So we don't want to get too heavy trotting out our, our, our soapboxes too much, mm-hmm. and we found that the formula of letting people have a bit of fun mm-hmm. and making a small donation mm-hmm. collectively can, in fact, make a big difference across the country. So how does it work? On Friday, I wear my glad rags? Yes, you can wear whatever you like. If Mm -hmm. you generally go to work dressed casually, you can dress up if you like. You can dress down if you like, whatever you wish. If you go to work and you forget it's casual day, really the only important thing for the day is to wear your sticker. So for the small 10 rand donation for a sticker, they are available in many, many places, which we can chat about just now. Mm -hmm. But really, dress as you may, but wear the sticker, because that really is our income stream in terms of our donations, is that 10 rand sticker donation. And that's the best people can do, help with with buying the sticker. You know, we that that's an entry-level uh, uh, thing that you can do. Mm. We are finding more and more that companies are wanting to twin with our beneficiary organizations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the day of getting your sticker at the, at the local place down the road mm-hmm. and not realizing what the deeper impact in is changing. We're finding that more and more our corporate sector that participates because it's big in companies, it's big in offices. Which is why we're here today, because I thought yes. we must understand. Prior to now, it's always been, oh, you know, my, a child saying, please buy a sticker and you buy. Yes. But yes. where do you, you know, how much do you know about where that money is going? And you have lots of beneficiaries then? We do. We've got an interesting beneficiary structure in that we've got a, a group of 13 national beneficiaries that represent the disability spectrum from epilepsy to sight impairment to hearing impairment, Down syndrome, autism, Alzheimer's, uh, the Quad Para Association. So we represent the spectrum of disabilities in the country. Some um, of the things you named now I didn't know were, were called disabilities. Mm. You know, because there's, there's a whole thing of disability 
presents itself in in a in a a disfigurement of the body of some kind, yes. you know, as opposed to things yes. like epilepsy. Yes, we there are two there are two angles to that. The one is that not all disabilities are obvious to the eye, mm-hmm. so not everybody's in a wheelchair. Mm. But also, from our point of view, we believe that often it's your environment that disables you. And that's really why we speak of persons with disabilities. People always ask us, why is your language that seems so political? You say, persons with disabilities. Why isn't it just disabled people? Mm. And that's because we say that sometimes it's not the person that has the disability. That person is disabled because the environment might be inaccessible. You can get an education if you can get into an educational institution. Yes. You can get to places if the, if, if the environment is, is accessible for you. If you are, if you have sight impairment and you've learned something in Braille, you can get an education. Mm. So we're saying often it's not only possibly uh, physically that you could be disabled, but the environment and also people's attitudes towards you can be disabling. Do you know, I've invited one of your other beneficiaries, Michael Ngobeni, who's also on the phone with us. Michael, welcome. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? You sound like you're on Friday already. You say you're wearing that <laughs> casual day smile. I'm excited about that. You're wearing that casual day smile already. I've watched mine already. But, Michael, uh, tell, tell us how buying a sticker has assisted your, your organization. Well, thank you so very much for giving us this platform. Mm. I think uh, majority of our beneficiaries come from disadvantaged background. Mm. And obviously having this casual uh, day, obviously now, we have realized that as a result of that, there's quite a lot of, of shortfalls that we have been able to close because of people supporting the, the casual day drive. Tell us about your particular uh, uh, home that you run. Yes, it's called the Sunshine Center Association. And we've got three centers. The one that I'm based is in Elsbeck. But the other two, is the one is in uh, Eldorado Park and the other one is in Craigwell Park. Okay. Yes. And, and what, does, what does the casual day sticker contribute to? Just the running and adding on other facilities? Yeah, not necessarily other facilities, but towards the running of the center. I see. Yes, I see. because we always have a shortfall as an NGO, you know, there will always yes. be shortfall because we are dependent on, on obviously funding and funders from mm-hmm. outside. But apart from, as I was talking to, to Celeste, apart from people, people will still buy the sticker. Yes. But I always <laughs> like, I, I always like the idea that people take an interest. You know, yes. during days like Mandela days, people are looking for good things to do. Yes. Are you open to those kinds of... We, uh, we're always open to the public. Anytime people can come in and have a look at what goes on in, in, into the field of disability so that they can also... This will be as a way of obviously dispelling away some of the myths and misconceptions around disability. Mm. Because we have realized there's still a long way to go in terms of the, uh, dis, the dispelling the myths and, and misconceptions. Mm. People mm. aren't aware about the challenges that people with disabilities go through. Celeste, yes. what drove you to take on this project? You know, I worked in the corporate sector for quite a while and I thought the driver for profit only didn't sit too well with me. Mm. But with my background in the corporate sector, I definitely thought I could contribute something 
to an environment to the NGO sector, mm. and I then started doing marketing for Casual Day about 16 years ago. Mm. And all the while, I found that I could never tear myself away. Every year, the project got better. There were new ideas. There were more people coming on board. And I think for me, when you can see the the, the money at work in the marketplace, mm. when you can see a difference starting to come through, you really get driven from year to year until now where I'm looking at year number 17 for Casual Day for me. Wow, wow. And how old is it? It's, it's, it's 19 years now, and, mm-hmm. and next year we're looking at 20 years, so two decades. So we must make it bigger and better. Hey? We are, yes. We're already working on next year. People think it's just a day, but for us it's a 14-month cycle, mm-hmm. and we're already working on our on our 20th celebration. Tell me, if somebody's not, and I'm not too sure how you, you register your beneficiaries, but if somebody uh, finds a need and wants to, to align themselves, uh, a home that wants to align themselves with you, how do they go about it? The most important thing that you, is that you are rendering services in the arena of disability. Okay. Casual Day is in that environment, and mm-hmm. that's what we know and love and can flow the help to. I like the the way you say you can flow the help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So if you're in the if you're in that beneficiary sector, Mm -hmm. then you can register. We do have an approval process to make sure that the governance of the organisation is in place. Of course. So a pre-approval, which is is not too arduous, and every year we approve about twenty new organisations that come on as a local beneficiary, where you may then sell stickers and keep a portion of that and another portion of that goes to a central kitty that's distributed between our national beneficiaries which is the 13 national beneficiaries. Fantastic. So we have what, a two-tier system. What was your last, what did you make last year? And 22, do you have, yes, 22.2 million and we're aiming at 24 this year. Come on, aim for 30, <laughs> come on. Oh, you can help Aim for that. 30, aim there's 30. so many South Africans, I mean 10 rand. Out of all, how many of us are there? A few, 40, 49 mil, yes. uh, the last I saw. Yes. So listen, why don't you aim for, for more? Hey, Michael, we can, we can yes, do better. Okay. Hey. I think that's because we'll be in the office, so I can deliver wherever in South Africa. Yes, I've also got some. So between <laughs> us, Michael and I will deliver. Well, yes, wherever. Okay, give us a website. www.casualday.co.za Okay, and where do people find the stickers? You said all over, but is there a yes. number they can call and say, I need to know in my area where to buy my sticker? Yes, indeed. Firstly, they can go to Sunshine Centre. Michael has mentioned where, yes. their, where their branches are. Yes. But this close to Casual Day also, you can go to a number of retail outlets. Yes. All of the Edcon-related stores, Edgar's Game, okay. um, Edgar's Jet, Jet Mart, Boardman's, all of those. Yes. APSA, Game, ShopRite Checkers, Dion Wired, um, and you can, of course, always call our office as well. Give me the number. O double one six oh nine seven double oh six. Yes. Just fantastic and good luck. I hope Thank you make you, so you do much more than twenty two million. You deserve more. Thank you. Michael, keep up the hope. Thank you so very much. And keep Michael. doing the remember good we job. Pick us with us here, so we can wherever we can deliver. Listen, yes, I'm giving you a number. I'm uh, giving zero one one. Yes. Eight two seven one seven three eight. 
So Sunshine Center, where Michael Ngobeni is, 011-827-1738. Yes, and we're in Ellsberg. That's in the Jameson area. Okay. But we can deliver wherever, when, wherever. Fantastic. I'll be donning my green wig <laughs> and my big sunglasses on Friday. Thank you so very much. Good luck. Good luck, Celeste. Thank, Thank you so much, Shadow. You take care, then. Take care. Bye. Bye www.casualday.co.za and the number for Celeste is 011-609-7066 and Michael Ngobeni is on 011-827-1738. It is now that time for Nalibali and today Linda Rowe reads a story from In the Never Ever Wood. <laughs> 